Yeah, I never get to talk about golf. It's always about like girls crying in their margaritas over some douchebag at a, <laughs> on a reality show. This feels much different. And welcome back to another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. My partner in crime, Mr. Matt Cermak, could not make it this week, so it was just yours truly. Thank you for hopping aboard another part train. In case you're new, our mission on the part train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course. And we believe that if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We interview PJ Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, everyday golfers, and celebrities from the Bachelor franchise and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy, help you get out of your own way, shoot your lowest scores ever, and finally enjoy the ride. Before we get to this episode with Wells Adams, which I'm sure many of you are excited to listen to, quick word from our friends at Roback. Guys, you hear me talk about this a lot, but I got to tell you, every time I wear a Roback polo or it's starting to get cooler, so a Roback Q-zip or a hoodie, people come up to me and they say, is that Roback? And I say, yes, it is. We've had many people tell us that they've heard us talk about Roback many times. They've seen it on our Instagram many times, but they've never quite pulled the trigger. Well, those that have wear nothing else. And I've cleared out my closet. It's all I wear. Guys, everything they make is top notch. It's a family owned business. They're the best people. They're growing like crazy. It's all four way stretch. It fits like a dream. The collars stay crisp after every wash. And it just looks good. The designs, they're coming out with new stuff every week. Um, so do me a favor. Hit the show notes of this episode. There will be a link in there. Uh, click that link and you'll get 15% off your first rowback order. And in case you're scrolling on Instagram, check us out at the par train. And this link is always in our bio as well. So tap our bio and you'll see get 15% off your first rowback order. Tap that link, get yourself a discount and enjoy what all the buzz is about. See what that buzz is about for the first time. I'm telling you guys, you won't be disappointed. I guarantee it. Okay. Uh, this episode with Wells Adams, I've personally watched The Bachelor franchise for a long time. I know this episode's a funny one because a lot of you loyal listeners who have listened to us for years uh, may not care or watch about The Bachelor, whereas there might be a lot of you joining for the first time uh, that love The Bachelor and wanted to hear from one of the fan favorites, Wells Adams, the contestant on the 12th season of The Bachelorette who's my favorite Bachelorette of all time, JoJo. He is now known as the bartender on Bachelor in Paradise, as many of you guys know, as well as a guest host on Bachelor in Paradise um, this past week. So for those that watch, we start off the episode with some fun questions that I've always died to, to learn and, and ask. And so we get those out of the way, and it's super interesting to kind of hear behind the scenes. And then uh, for all you golf nuts out there, Wells is a three handicap and just broke par for the first time. And I thought this was the perfect time to start a new mini series called My Best Round Ever, where we have someone on that shot one of their best rounds and we try and pick out and unpack the little things that someone either thought, experienced, did not think about. Uh, to achieve their best round ever. I, I think there's a lot of parallels and trends of people that shoot their best round. There's a lot of similarities between those rounds. And so I want to identify those and package them up so that you can take those in your next round and hopefully have your best round. And ironically, guys, a uh, little fun fact. Yesterday, I shot a 74, which tied my best round ever. So clearly, uh, what Wells talked about helped me as well. So. Uh, I will get you guys to this interview. Thank you to Wells for coming on. And as always, if you guys are getting any value from this show, we're getting all your messages. We appreciate the support. We're glad to see that your game is improving. Give us a shout uh, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Say hello. Um, love getting your messages. And uh, secondly, share with a friend, share the podcast with a friend, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, okay? We love your messages on Instagram. But if you send those messages on Apple Podcasts in a review, more people can see them, more people can be impacted by your success. And that's what you know means the most to us is the more people impacted, the better. So thanks as always for hopping aboard the train. And no matter where your ball goes, no matter what your score is, no matter how you feel, always remember 
to enjoy the ride. Take care, guys. I'm happy to say, Wells Adams, welcome aboard the par train. Yeah, I never get to talk about golf. It's always about like girls crying in their margaritas over some douchebag <laughs> on a reality show. So this really, this is a, this feels much different, but very nice. Well, Wells, it's funny you say that because we've had PJ Tour pros on the show. We've had Tiger Woods coach on the show. We've had a World Series MVP. But you're the first guest that my fiance is genuinely, truly excited about <laughs> listening to after the fact. So congratulations to you, Wells. Yeah, really. Uh, we're at the bottom of the barrel here for you. You really ripped through everybody. And now you're going for reality TV idiots. Man, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dire straits. You know, of Bachelor, the Bachelor franchise, I've talked to my friends about this. You might be the most likable guy in there. We had someone on our story on Instagram say, what can this guy not do when he heard that you broke par? So I'm excited to dig in. I think people are going to be excited to listen to this. I'm excited too. I, I honestly like love, I'm obsessed with golf. I have been for a very long time and I very rarely get to talk about it. Uh, and when I do, my fiance just rolls her eyes. So thank you for having me. This is going to be a fun episode. Full disclosure, we're going to go through this together. Well, it's because I have to walk a very fine line because yeah. I know there's people yeah. tuning into this that probably never thought they would listen to our show that want <laughs> yeah. to let, talk about yeah. Bachelor and talk and learn from you and your experiences on the shows. Um, but then I also have our, our loyal listeners and I have to walk the line of Bachelor and golf. So we'll see how I do, but we'll go through it together. How's that sound? Yeah, I'll help you too. I, I think I can wade the waters of this uh, pretty seamlessly, I promise. Wells, I, I want to. I was thinking about all the different ways to start, and um, you know, I've been a fan of the franchise for a long time, The Bachelor and Paradise, of course, which is probably the best show um, in the franchise. And you know, I've even played in the fantasy league for years. And one thing I've never fully understood, and I want to start here. I don't. My fiance doesn't get this either. How is it possible to stay up all night on camera while drinking? Not trying to say anything wrong. What is harder? Somehow not doing something stupid on camera after nights of sleep deprivation and alcohol or breaking par? Breaking par, for sure. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will say like staying up late and, um, and, and just trying to not be an idiot on TV is not the easiest thing. Um, it, more so for the cast than for me. I don't have any real skin in the game other than, like, I want to make a good TV show. Um, but, yeah, it is tough. Like, I remember, so this this is the first year where I was basically the host of the show. Like, we brought in a bunch of, like, Hollywood hosts, but, like, they had me basically host the show. <clears throat> and, um, and you know, I, I do, like, I think everyone thinks that, like, someone bartends and they give me a drink and then I just hand it to people and they're like, you know, like, ooh, Hollywood, but... I really bartend, and so like on um, on those nights where we have rose ceremonies, you have a cocktail party, and the cocktail party starts around 9.30, and then I bartend from like, let's say 10 to like 4.30, and then I go up and I host the rose ceremony. Uh, and I never had to do that before. Yeah, 4.30 a.m. Like the first, the, so the first one, this particular story was like 5.30. We were really up against the sunrise. And I remember I... Um, I hosted the rose ceremony and I kind of try to do it like my own in my own way, just because, the, you know, I think everyone is so used to the Chris Harrison of it all. And I try to do it kind of my own way. Anyway, so the next day we had to do something called pickups. And that's when like you go and you re-record something that like you didn't quite do just right. And I was like, I thought I did an okay job last night. And they're like, oh, the note from the network is that you look tired. And I was like, yeah, no fucking shit. I've been up since I started at nine. It's five 30 in the morning. Like, what do you guys expect? Like the fact that I'm able to like speak words is amazing. And I was like, Hey, maybe you get a, you get someone to do, put some makeup under these bags. So I don't think I've done heroin for the past three nights in a row. And they were like, you want makeup? You bitch. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so, 
So anyways, if you watch back that first episode of Paradise where I do a rose ceremony, that's actually the next day when I was re well rested and I uh, look better. But yeah, for the most part, it's hard. It's I, I would say the, the hardest part is not the sleep deprivation. It's like getting a little tipsy and still trying to be like uh, not an idiot, if that makes sense. That's like some weird Navy SEAL stuff. <laughs> yeah. You look sleep deprived. Or like from Remember the Titans, you don't get thirsty. You don't get dirt on my uniform. You don't get blood on my uniform. Like, how could you not look tired? Yeah, I know. And and I, I guess I guess it would be weird if I did look chipper at 530 in the morning hosting rose ceremony. So, yeah. You mentioned bartending. I, I have to ask you, um, I feel like making a spicy marg is quite simple, yet making a good spicy marg seems difficult because they seem to be rare especially in here in la <laughs> what is the secret to a good spicy marg that's clean fresh but not too sweet uh the the real answer is to uh infuse your tequila with peppers um yeah and and but that takes time and if i'm being honest with you i hate making a spicy marg not because I'm lazy. It's because after a month of me bartending every single day, I have nothing but cuts on my hands just from like wear and tear and me chopping and muddling jalapenos and serranos is just torture. Like the seventh ring of hell is like when some stupid idiot comes and asks for a spicy mark. So what I do is uh, we, for us, for some reason we don't have jalapenos uh, and, and Playa Escondida. They only have Serranos, which are really spicy. So the what's what I do? Because immediately everyone wants a spicy margarita when they get to paradise. Listen, I get it. Like, you want to feel the vibe. I make them the world's most fucked up spicy marg. I'm talking like blow an O-ring the next day. Like, this is going to seriously have, like, lasting effects on your asshole for years to come. And so, like, they get one, and then they never ask for it again. That's my plan, because I hate making a spicy margarita. That is smart. And what I've heard in another interview, because, you know, we do our research here on the train. Mm, smart. You have to get your own alcohol if it runs out. There's no, like, production assistance. There's no, I mean, uh, yeah, to go stock it. You have to do everything. Like, people would probably think you just... Like it's all there stocked for you and you just serve drinks and then you ask questions and you tell them to maybe do something that isn't smart, but it's great for TV, <laughs> but yeah, you yeah, do yeah. it all. Yeah, I have to stock. I mean, like the bar is stocked and I can get a little help, especially when we like it, quote unquote, get in the weeds. But for the most part, yeah, I have to stock it. I have to like deal with all the produce and, and, and cut it all and, um, you know, deal with the ice and everything. And I have to wash all the glasses and stuff. And it's 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 more of a... You can't have PAs and people that aren't on TV on TV. So if I just do it, we can just continue. Whereas if someone comes in, they got to cut around it and it's weird. And so I've just found that it's easier for just me to take care of everything. And also, uh, I hate you don't like if you if you envision what what the reality is compared to what you see on TV. When you see on TV, it's just me behind a bar. But in reality, I have a camera guy next to me because he's filming, you know, the other side of the bar. I have a sound guy next to me. And so, like, I am... And also, like, liquor's over here, beer's over here, ice is down here, uh, things are over here. I am, like, ducking, like, dip, dab, duck, weave. I'm like going all around these people. And then if you brought in like a PA that was like restocking my shit or like a bar back, it would be like, everyone get the fuck out of here. This is too many people. Like I, this is hard. This is hard enough as it is. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I do all the work. Give me it a makes raise. sense as to why my fiance is excited. I mean, <laughs> you deserve it, you know? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> is it true that, and I've got one more bachelor question, then we'll get to golf, but um, before I ask that, you described the scene, right? And it makes me think, wow, like, that's a lot of people. It's very clear you're on TV. Yet a lot of people say from reality television that you kind of forget 
the cameras are there and after a while you get used to it and your true self starts to come out. Um, I find that hard to believe that I would forget that I'm on national television. Maybe it's the booze, maybe it's the sleep deprivation or the crabs, but I'm curious what your <laughs> thoughts are if, if that actually happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're always aware that there are people in the room filming you and recording your audio and everything. I think um, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is you stop giving a shit. They, they kind of dissolve away and you become comfortable with them doing their job around you just being normal. Whereas in the beginning, it's not normal and it's not, it's very uncomfortable. I remember when I was on the actual Bachelorette, it took me like, I think like six hours to be like, okay, I don't care. Like, yes, like that was going to be me now. No. And I remember, like, I remember, I remember very vividly, specifically, I remember the, the EP that was, um, was on the Bachelorette. His name was Along Gale. He's no longer with the show, but he's still a dear friend of mine and he's a, fucking genius he just wrote the second episode of the um of, of midnight mass i don't know if you watch that show but it's on right now on netflix anyways i remember him walking in and he was like these people do not exist do not talk to them they are not your friends they don't exist they are houseplants just like proceed as if they are not here and i remember that i was like that's fucked up um, and, but, but it, you have to do that if you want to be like real on TV. And so I always say paradise is like reality all-stars. Everyone that comes there, yes, they're beautiful. Yes. Like people want to see them on TV, but the truth of the matter is, is that they're very good at being on reality TV. Like that's why they're there. Like Demi is a very good example of that. Um, so so yeah, yes, like it dissolves away for people who are good at letting it dissolve away, you know? Okay. So for all you golf nuts, this is my last one and then we'll yeah. get into it. Um, this is the one that my fiance and I really wanted to know about and it blows my mind every time I watch it. The crabs. Yeah. Little story for you, Wells. Uh, last weekend, my fiance and I had two weddings in 24 hours. So we drove from Solvang straight to Orange County. We had 30 minutes to get ready and then drive up to uh, back to Orange County and, and go to this wedding. As we were walking in, uh, there was a spider about this big in the middle of the web that we saw at the last second. And we almost went headfirst in it too. And I have always thought that these crabs are like humongous spiders with eyes above their head that crawl everywhere. And it would freak the hell out of me. And I don't, is that, are they like the cameras? Do you get used to them or are they freaky? Because I can't imagine seeing one of those in my room. Yeah, for whatever reason, they're not as terrifying as spiders. Like I have a severe arachnophobia yeah. uh, and I don't, they don't bug me as much. I think because, I think because they're bigger so you can see them, yeah. um, they, they also, also don't bite, bite you, whereas spiders, you're scared of the spider bites, I suppose. Um, they're also really, really scared of you, so they're, they're always scurrying away. But here's the thing. <clears throat> um, that resort is on a mountainside, and so those aren't, um, those aren't really sand crabs like that live in the beach. They live in, on the mountainside <clears throat> that like, leads down to the beach. And what happens every year, we film during the rainy season. And so what happens every year is it rains and when it rains, it fills up their like little crab holes and then they come out in droves. So like it's, they're not always like around, but like after a storm, they're everywhere and got you got to deal with them. I appreciate the context. I hope that's very helpful um, for the bachelor fans like myself out there. So just straight up, Wells, I assume this might be the case based on your score that you just shot one on one under. 71 at Tierra Rajada here in LA, which we'll talk about the course. It's not necessarily an easy course. Um, are you the best golfer from the Bachelor franchise? Um, so Chris Harrison is very good. Um, and I played with Chris a lot. We were both members of the same club for about a year. Um, which yeah, it was well, it was in Westlake. It was North Ranch, which is where it's like Pepperdine's home course. It's where they had the Southwestern Invitational, and I think Pepperdine won that. Uh, it's really tough course, really, really tough, like slope 134 to 
37 uh, from like blues, like tipped out and like running at 12 or 13. It's impossible. Um, so Chris is very good. Chris, but Chris has got old man syndrome where he, you know, he hits the ball 250, but he hits the ball fucking straight, you know? So like, so he's really hard to beat. So like, so I, I can, I can like get him on par fives and stuff, but like, he's just steady Eddie. He's, and he's also like, because he's been in TV for so long, he just does not get rattled. Like he's just like hard as a rock. Yeah. Uh, and like, I, you know, we go and I follow him every year at the uh, AT&T Pro-Am and like, like he just doesn't get nervous. And that's something that I don't have yet. And I've, you know, been in entertainment for the past, you know, 17 years. Uh, The other person is Ben Higgins. He's very good. He's like maybe like a seven uh, or an eight, depending. Jason Tardick's pretty good. He's sub 10. Um, So that's a, about oh Dean Unglert, uh, one of my dear friends. He's like a twelve or a thirteen. So yeah, we we can all go we can all go slap it around together. Uh, but Harris, I would say that like if I really was nervous about, I lost to Harrison like the first like maybe like twenty times we played him, and then the last couple times I I, I kind of had his number, and so so yeah. But that he's the one guy who, who would like I got to fight for that win. I always wondered with Chris. When he was hosting the show for so long, you know, people would joke, he's got the dream job, right? He comes in for a few scenes and then he's not on camera. So what's Chris doing? And I always assumed that guy's got to be golfing. Yeah, he would travel with his sticks. Uh, uh, yeah. Or if it was places that like you knew there's going to be golf. Like we filmed, we filmed in Nemecole in Pennsylvania twice uh i was there both times one is a contestant one is like a celebrity host with him and i brought my sticks out there there's two pete die courses it's where they used to do the 84 lumber like pga event like the course is ridiculous and we just went out and played and like we bought the place out because we were filming there during covid so like we just went out and played there every day and it was <laughs> it was someone like my the best like golf ever because we could whip around in two and a half hours uh, no one was there. It was so much fun. So yeah, he would he would roll with the sticks. When I go to Paradise, I bring my clubs, uh, and I'll play try to play as much as humanly possible. And when we did the show together, we would play basically every off day, which there, we don't get a lot of them, but we would play uh, once a week. Okay, I was curious of the schedule there and how often you get to, because if you're filming late through the morning, would you just wake up and like squeeze in nine or 18, but you also want to try and get your sleep. So how does that work for you? Yeah. I mean, this year was different. I really just did night shoots. So I had a lot of days, uh, free years past. I would kind of bounce back and forth between day and night shoots, but for the most part, rose ceremony days are the days that I could go play because I don't really have to be on set until like 10, nine 30. Uh, at night. So I would, I would go try to rip in like a round of golf, uh, like that day and then, and then come to set. All right. Wells, let's dig into it a little bit. Yeah. Help people understand handicap your context as a golfer. I know you mentioned you've played for a long time. So let's, let's start there. Let's talk about kind of how long you've been playing in your handicap and then we'll dig in a little bit more. All right. So I grew up in Monterey, which is where Pebble Beach is. Not a bad place to grow up. Yeah. Um, so I grew up on a golf course called Old Del Monte, which is the oldest golf course west of the Mississippi. Shout out. Uh, I grew up on the corner of nine and ten. So um, and I have I have four other siblings, two of which <clears throat> are older brothers who are very good at golf. My father is very good at golf. And we would sell golf balls to people uh, playing Old Del Monte. Yeah, we'd sell golf balls and lemonade and sometimes a beer if uh, someone really wanted it. I remember that bitch-ass cart girl would go park her cart on on 10 tee box because so, our little stand was on 10, you know, kind of like where you would land your drive. So she would sell right before us. You screw her. I, I hated her. But um, we had a good gig. My dad would bribe the marshal uh, about every week with a bottle of wine. <clears throat> so he wouldn't give a shit because we'd go play Twilight Rounds. And we had, I remember we had a swing, um, like a wooden swing set with binoculars that hung from the uh, side of it. And you could look down to two. 
You could look a kind of a, a coming up one onto two. And if no one was coming up one or playing two, we'd go jump on three and play the back back to our house. If someone was coming up one or two, we'd look up nine. If no one was coming down nine, we'd go jump on 10 and play the back and then jump over to one and two, three back to our house. So we had like this thing down pat. I played a lot of golf. I sold a lot of golf balls as a kid. And then like one of my first jobs, I was a bag boy and a, a range like ball picker upper at uh, the Carmel Valley Ranch, which is a great. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I remember there was one day that like the cage thing broke and they were like, just go out there with the workhorse, which is like one that doesn't have a cage. And I was like, fuck you. I'm going to get smoked in the head. If I was on the range and I saw someone had no protection, I would be hitting fucking, you know, just like Tiger Woods stingers at this kid. I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this. And they gave me a hard hat. And I was like, guys, this is this is messed up. So yeah, I was a bag boy for a while. I played junior golf. I went to golf camps as a white rich kid. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I actually worked for the first tee as an intern for a while. I played, I played junior golf and then I played high school golf. And then I wasn't, I wasn't good enough to play in college, but I went to, I went to Palm, which is an all boys Catholic school, kind of like in Salinas, which is a little bit East of Monterey. But our big rival was RLS, Robert Louis Stevenson, which is the school that's inside uh, Pebble beach and their home course was spyglass. And so we would go play. Well, also so fucked up. You can't, if you know spyglass, <laughs> It's you can't beat anybody who knows how to play Spyglass. It's so hard, you know. And we we're coming in there playing from like a Muni. Because Laguna Seca was actually our our home course. We get boat raced every freaking time, but not a bad place to uh, grow up and learn how to play golf. So, what is your what is your handicap right now? Well, I shot under par yesterday, so now I'm a three. I think a three eight. I was a four three going into this so one round can really kind of screw you over for your for your uh weekend warrior you know nassau games um <clears throat> i think this is i think i got down to a three five like last like last year and then I, you know how handicaps go they kind of go up and down but um yeah i've been holding steady kind of sub five for the past year which is which is good solid so how often do you get to play right now when you're home um, and let's talk about, let's start with the best and worst parts of your game. And then we can talk about the round a little bit more. Okay. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, the first thing I did was I bought a simulator. I bought the SkyTrack, uh, and put that in my garage and that's been great. It's actually more fun for like having people over and getting drunk and playing than it is really for like honing in the game, but it has helped me immensely. And wasn't as expensive as I think you'd think it would be. Like, I know you can go online. There's like $60,000, $100,000 rigs you can buy. I went and looked at like what, what the whole thing was. And then I piecemealed it on Amazon. The most expensive thing is the hardware, like the actual device, the SkyTrack device, which is like the cheapest of, of all like the TrackMan things you can buy. Uh, and I got piecemealed the whole thing together and built it myself. And it was around like $3,500. Wasn't crazy expensive and totally worth it. Um, I play a bunch. I mean, it depends on like what my work schedule is like. My brother's a member over at Moore Park, which is semi-private. Like I said, I was a member at North Ranch. I stopped. I was doing like a preview membership there. So we were, yeah. Oh, I love that. So that, that used to be my favorite track in LA, um, public. And the, I, I noticed lately they don't show up on the, t-sheets anymore i don't know if that's just covid because they sell out so quickly or if they went fully private but the three nines at moore park country club are so much fun yeah well creekside's a bitch but uh <laughs> uh yeah so i play i probably play there twice a week and then um and then we played north ranch I, we played tierra yesterday because uh moore park had punched their greens and it's currently in the process of trying to join Lakeside, which is the kind of the private club in, um, in Toluca Lake. So anyways, um, yeah, so I play a lot of fucking golf, dude. I'm always out there. Like I should have, I should have broken par long ago. 
I had two I had two rounds where I shot even par. I did uh Rustic Canyon, which is a great like link style course out in kind of see me more park area. I went four under on the front and then like held on for like grim death on the back and shot four over. And then one day at Moore Park, I just shot par on every hole. It was very, very weird. Like, yeah. And it was, I remember just being like, this is so odd. Like, I, I think that like what I did yesterday is probably more realistic than the par on every hole. Cause like what I did yesterday was I had two doubles on the front. I shot three over on the front, threw up a 40. I thought like there's, I never in my mind thought that this was going to be the round where I break par. And then I just went on a tear and I had five birdies on the back and went four under. And that's how it happened. So let's talk about the difference there for a second, right? The difference of starting four under to trying to hold on were your words versus starting three over and just playing. Let's talk about the differences on the back there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, game, the game is all mental, obviously, and it's so much easier when you don't give a shit. After, you know, throwing up a 40 on the front, I, I wasn't even thinking about, like, this is going to be the best score ever. I was just like, all right, let's just play. So I, so I was playing my brother, and we were playing a front back over on Nassau. And I lost the front. <laughs> so, I, so uh, and honestly, like, I would have shot a better round if I hadn't been. There's something that I learned, I thought, was thinking about yesterday. Because the two doubles that I had, he stroked on me. So, and, and so, like, it was on three on at Tierra Hada, which is a very hard hole. And it's, like, weird. Like, you don't really know what to do. Very blind. You're hitting over this big mound. You're, trying, you're like, do I hit iron here? Or, like, do I just blast a driver down there? So, I hit one out. And so because of that, and he hit a good shot, and because of that, I was like, well, I'm going to roast another ball down there because I'm trying to I'm trying to at least save a par here. Now, if I knew I was playing for my best round ever, I would have never in my wildest dreams pulled out my hybrid where I had gone out and tried to hit the green again. You know, like I would have dumped a little seven iron down there and got up and down for bogey and just like just bailed. So that was an interesting thing. But yeah, I think when you are playing like loose and just don't care, you, you always play a lot better. Um, and also like it helps like if your putter is, is, you know, is working really well. The one thing that like I think that like the average golfer doesn't really realize is, and I was reading Harvey Penick's like little red book. Uh, it's in my bathroom. So when I take a shit, this is what I do. Uh, but he was talking about how like the, the game of golf really needs to be learned from the from the pin backwards. And it's very hard to teach people this um, because <clears throat> they want to bomb drives. But like, if you want to, if you want to break, let's say, okay, let's say you want to break 90, you need to get better from a hundred yards in. And so this is one thing that I learned from getting that simulator that I think that like every amateur golfer really, really should do if you want to get better. And that is <clears throat> do this, what's called a wedge, wedge matrix. Take your 60, take your 56, and take your 52, your gap or whatever, and take your pitching wedge. And know exactly how far you hit the ball at full swing, three-quarter swing, and half swing or quarter swing. And then figure out exactly what that what those numbers are. And then get painter's tape and put it on your on your shaft and write those numbers down. And then start playing golf um, to numbers. And so this is the one thing that absolutely, like yesterday was a five-hour round, and I shot fucking one under. So it was just very, very slow. And I'm watching, I'm watching amateurs play in front of me that are not good at golf, and that's okay. Um, but the one thing that like really drives me insane is when I see an amateur waiting for a, someone, someone who's not good, like a 95 player, who's waiting for a green to clear, that's 250 in. First of all, I've watched you this entire day. You will not hit this. Second of all, statistically speaking, this is a terrible play for you because you're probably going to top the ball um, or you're not going to get anywhere close or you're going to spray it way right or left and you're going to be out and then we got to figure out what's going to happen next. You should be playing the numbers. And I know that like that whole meme of like, what's laying up, daddy? I don't know. I'm not a pussy. Like I know that that's in every guy's mind, but it's so stupid and I will beat the shit out of you all day long by playing the numbers and that is, okay, I'm 250 in. I did my wedge matrix. I know that my 56 at three-quarter swing 
gets me a 105, uh, a, a 98 shot. I'm 250 in. I need to hit a ball 150 in to give me that wedge shot to spin it close to make my birdie. Like, I know if you want to be Rory McIlroy or DJ and, like, nail your three woods on to, you know, par fives and get your eagle putts, it's never going to happen for you. Like, it's never going to happen. So start playing backwards. And I think that's one thing that, like, when I play with people who aren't very good and they're like, you need to go for it. And I'm like, the play here is so dumb. Like, okay, number one at Tierra Hada, par five, right? <clears throat> can't You can't blast driver down there because water comes into play. So you got to hit like a three wood or like I hit like my, uh, like my hybrid down there. Everyone's like, this is a par five. You got to bomb it. And it's like, well, that's stupid. I'm bringing in something that's going to fuck up my game. And then secondly, then it gives me a shot. Like if I hit it really well, then I can go for it if I want. But that thing's, is is protected by water in the front, right? Front left, water on a par five. Terrible play, especially for someone like me who who my miss my miss is turning the ball over. Okay. So I need to hit like my five, six iron outright, good angle in to my number. And I'm gonna make birdie six out of ten times. Whereas if you go for it, you're gonna make birdie one out of ten times because you're gonna put the ball in the water. Guaranteed. Yeah. Well, you never want to be penalized for hitting a good shot. That's something yeah. that just drives me crazy, right? And so for you to hit driver there and you hit it perfectly and you end up going in the water, also it's the first hole, Yeah. right? And so I, I've done posts before about not putting too much pressure on the first shot because at the end of the day, do you even remember your first shot? And it's the same amount as your last shot in regards to your scorecard anyways but there is something to be said we've had a tour pro on the show uh where matt kuchar told him and i've I've said this before on the show um but he plays the middle of every green and tries to hit the fattest part of the fairway the first four holes of the round as a way to simulate and understand where his game is that day so even one of the most consistent players the last 20 years that hits a three-yard cut every time on tour is playing the percentages Right. And that's part of the reason why he's so consistent on the money, money. I remember when I played high school golf, we played around where my coach went and took out every pin. Um, And so we were like, well, we don't know where to go. And he's like, yeah, just aim for the center of the green. And lo and behold, what did we do? We all shot personal bests because you're not chasing pins. The the other thing that I would say, like for amateur golfers, Uh, And this is something that, like, I know is so hard to grasp, but, like, at this point now, every cart has the GPS, right? What you need to do is you need to look, like, let's say it's a par four, 400 yards, okay? And let's say at 250, it goes from a wide fairway and it narrows down or or dog legs, whatever. You need to hit, hit where it's the fattest part of the fairway, and whatever that number is, that's where you need to hit the ball to. Like, don't hit your driver into that where it starts to narrow down because then you're screwed. And then, so what did you gain there? You gained, yeah, okay, so now you have a wedge in instead of a nine iron or an eight iron, but you're in the rough. So now you can't spin the ball. Uh, and and so and now you're worrying about flyer lies and all that kind of stuff. I went and got, I got to play um, and be a part of the, FedEx St. Jude Invitational in Memphis this past year. And so they allowed me to walk in the ropes. And I got to walk in the ropes with Bryson, Rory, Dustin, Brooks, um, Cam Smith, and Spieth. So, like, everyone, all the good guys. Yeah. And so, like, as a golf fan, like, this was a dream come true. And I left there thinking about golf so much different than I did before. Number one, on TV, they look bigger than they really are. Like, Rory's much shorter than me, if I'm being honest. Uh, On TV, it looks like they are swinging so much faster than they really are. They're not. The reason is, is because they put a microphone on the tee box, and when you hear that sound really mic'd up, it seems like they're just cracking the ball. But to be honest with you, those dudes are hitting 80% 80% swings, save Bryson. But everyone, DJ, Rory, it's all 80% swings and on every swing. 
And the other thing that I never realized that like it was something that was like, I need to work on this part of my game is they downshift so much more than you think they do. And that's only because television doesn't care about seeing Rory hit, uh, you know, a hybrid off the tee. But the truth of the matter is, is those guys hit a lot of three woods and a lot of hybrids off the tee for position play. And for the average golfer, we're out there, you know, whipping out lumber because we think that's what the pros do. But in reality, it's not what they do. They play to numbers. They don't fuck with bunkers or water if they don't have to. And that's how those guys score really, really low rounds. 100%. And one thing you make me think of, Wells, that's really helped my game and that I've learned a lot from this podcast over the last year. We've had Scott Fawcett from Decade Golf. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's designed this course. You would love this episode. He basically designed a numbers-driven course management system that so many of the players use now. Um, and it's it's like Con Morikawa learned it in college. Bryson learned it in college. Uh, Will Zalatoris has been caddied by this guy. Like It's a really good, I'll send you the link, but it's a really yeah. good episode. And it's all about this stuff. And one thing that's really helped me, you talk about clubs off the tee, right? The thing that even helped me more is you said you have a simulator, right? Not everybody has that, but you can use your ring sessions to shoot pins with, you know, or understand where things are and get a better understanding of how far your clubs go. Because like, for example, yeah, eight iron is 150 for me, right? Or whoever. And they just think, okay, so that flag in the back it's a blue flag tucked in the back. Flag's 150. Yeah. Okay. Perfect eight iron. Well, actually, not really. Because if you hit that a fraction too good, which again, don't want to be penalized for hitting a shot too good. Now you're short-sighted. It's off the back. The, the green slopes from back to front. There's no green to work with. You had a great shot in. You have a whole green to aim at. Now you have a really hard time saving bogey. Right? And so... What's really helped me is understanding, well, actually, how, what's the variance in each club, right? To your point mm -hmm. about the wedge matrix, like, yes, full swing, half swing, quarter swing, but also, how, what's the max? What's the farthest this club can go if I really get it? And how far does this club go if I miss hit it? Now you have more confidence in where each iron is going, so you have a better chance at hitting the middle of the green or clubbing down with a back flag. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's either like Sam Snead or Ben Hogan's famous quote is like, um, golf is a game of misses. Whoever misses the least is the best. And that's another thing that I think a lot of people um, don't think about that I think about a lot. Like if I ever, like if I go play Pebble uh, and I have a caddy, my first question is, okay, what's my, what's my number? Like what's my hurt here? Uh, and then my second is always, what's my miss? Like, where do I, where do I want this ball to miss to? Because everyone has tendencies, like, you know, a lot of amateurs hit, you know, big cuts basically. And so you need to know when, like, you know, if, if you're, if you got a sucker pin, uh, you know, tucked on the way left with water on the left of that your miss needs to be on the right side of that green. You know, like you need to aim for the middle of the green and miss right so you don't go in that water and then you have a lot of green to work with with your chip. And that, I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't think about is like, okay, so even if I do, and I do this a lot too, where I primarily hook the ball. I'm a big hooker of the ball. And Azinger had this quote when I was watching a couple months back that I, I thought was like the best quote ever. He said, if you want to be a good golfer, you have to learn how to hook the ball. Um, and then once you once you learn how to hook the ball, you're going to spend the rest of your career never hitting that shot again, which is so true. And to be honest with you, like a, a, a hooked ball has so much more action and spin because it's, it's downspin than when you cut the ball, which is upspin, which is why when you cut the ball, it doesn't go as far as when you hook the ball. So when you miss with a cut, it's not as bad as a miss with the hook. And so when I like, this happens with par fives life, I'm going for it with like a rescue or a three wood. 
And I'm like, okay, I want to hit a big cut into this. And I, but I need to know that I have room right if I'm going for this green because I know I'm hitting that big cut uh, because if I hit a big snap hook, then I'm fucked and hopefully I don't get that double cross. But like, yeah, the 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 knowing where you can miss uh, thing is one thing that like, that's like the from the 80s to the 70s thing that I think a lot of people don't think about. All right, so you shot a 71. Yeah. And like... Most people say nobody thinks when they wake up that day, I'm going to shoot my best score ever. Right. And you had the uh, the the common case where your front nine wasn't great. Right. So talk me through your back nine. You said you made five birdies. Yeah. Sounds like to me and you, you correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you were very present and you were thinking about number to number oh okay so this is uh this hole the fattest part is around here okay i'm gonna hit that and the green is this okay what's my safe yardage okay i'm gonna go 145 instead of the 160 in the back and you just kind of went number to number is that true yeah and it's it's weird because the holes that i should have birdied i didn't and the holes that i did birdie i shouldn't have like so this is gonna be very specific to people that know Tierra Hada, but ten is that is that kind of an uphill shot, and I cranked my drive up that second tier, and I had a hundred in, but there's a big false front, so you need to get that ball in the back, um, and I did the thing that everyone does, which is I clubbed down, I tried to uh, kind of hit a spinny like 50, 56, um, and I I hit it fat. And I was short <laughs> and then I couldn't get up and down. So I bogeyed the first hole in the back, even though I had, a, I had less than a hundred in second one, uh, 11 is a long par three. I cranked a six iron to the fat of the green. I was the farthest one out and I drained like a 40 foot putt that I should have never made. Next hole is a par five. Uh, and I can, I can hit the ball like 300 yards and I have, really good long irons. That's I'm bread and butter is my par fives. Uh, crank my drive over that sand trap on the right. Uh, I kind of hit a fat five into the green, which I had a 200, I had 200 in hit a fat five to the front of the green thinking easy up and down for birdie. Nope. Don't get up and down for birdie. I make par hole after that is that kind of weird in between one where there's water on the right and you have the, the other hole like, like I think it's like 14 coming back so it's either like you can hit like rescue or like your hybrid down there and have like a 160 70 shot in or you can just crank the ball like over that bunker and have a short one and I cranked the ball over the bunker had a really fluffy like 52 degree in stuck at three feet my brother didn't even make me putt that but of course I putted it because I was like and we got another birdie here. Next hole after that, par three. I crushed the par threes. Uh, I had a seven. I had one seventy five in. Best swing of the day. Uh, I think. I think it's Hogan who says like um, every round you just want three shots around that do exactly what you want them to do, and that's a good round of golf. And that was that shot where I just stuffed it ten feet, made a really tough putt. Next hole after that, par five. That's two in a row. Uh, and but then I also buried that par three on eleven. Next one after that, par five. Crank my drive. No, it was one of those days when the guys that were playing in front of us were so slow that I wasn't going for greens because I didn't want to wait for them. So I was just like laying up, just being like, "Fucking, let's go, dude." So after that. Uh, but I did go for that green. No, 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 I didn't. I laid up and then I pushed my ball right. I got up and down for par. It was a par five that I didn't make a birdie on. Next hole after that, uh, long par four. Maybe that's the par four. No, yeah, yeah, that was the par four. Cranked my drive, hit it right, got up and down for par. Next par, par five. Uh... Couldn't go for it again because the fucking guys were taking forever. So I laid up again. Uh, I think I got up and down for birdie there. Then after that's that really short par three. You know, it's like um, 
it's like a gap wedge, maybe, depending on the wind. Hit it really well, but I was much, very, very short. But at this point, I couldn't miss a putt. I drained a 20-foot putt for birdie. So at this point, I'm going into 18. I'm one under. I've made five birdies on the round, four on the backside, right? Um, And I know that I just need a par. And 18 at Tierra Hot is weird. It's it's another one of those kind of like blind tee shots. It like kind of, it's a dogleg right, then back left over water. You don't need to hit driver. There's OB left because it's like where all the um, mechanical stuff is. And then, and then there's danger right. And you have to kind of hit this iron shot over this bunker to give you like a 150 shot in. I hit six iron because I was like, I just want to give myself, I just want to give myself an iron in, you know? So I hit a good six iron and I've got one, uh, one six, I gun it at like 165, the pin is tucked. And so I'm like, this is my eight iron. I'm, and here's, this is what I was talking about earlier. I'm going to miss right. The water's to the left. I'm not going for this pin. I don't give a shit. If I can just get up and down then, or, you know, just make par, then I've shot under par. So I crank it. I hit it so well, but I had, didn't take in consideration how much wind was up there. I barely landed it on the right side of that green, like right in front of the water. Like, thank God it didn't spin back. Um, and the, but then I had a real weird sidewinder up a hill, down, back, over, putt, and I just needed to get it like in that basketball or in that three foot circle or whatever. And I hit one good putt, and it got like two feet, and that's how that's how I'm shot under par. There you go. There's the whole round. Going back to like, where do I need to miss? My big, my miss is always I overcook the ball and I hook the ball. Can't hook the ball there because it's out of bounds left. And so my main thought was I want to hit a cut over this sand trap. So to just try to, everything I can just to hit this cut. Uh, It also gives you a better position looking in if you hit a cut. And of course, Oh, and by the way, it was so slow that the group behind us had shown up. And of course, my asshole brother was like, he's one under going into 18. He's had four birdies on the back. He's boat raced me on this Nassau. And I'm like, shut up, play it cool, play it cool. And, you know, I was like very, I remember the guy, the guy said like, he, you don't even look happy. And it was like, oh, this is the best day of my life. But I'm like super zoned right now. You know, like, don't fucking talk to me. Like, let me, so I, was just trying to hit that cut. I still overcooked it, and I was on the left side of that of that fairway, and I had like a little bit of a blind shot in. And then same thing. It was just like just play to your miss. If you are ten yards to the right of this green, you got nothing but a big ass green with a tin with a pin tucked way to the left that you can still get up and down on. Like you can still do this. And yeah, it was. It's so funny. It's just the, it's the most scared way to play golf but I think golf is like you're just trying to survive
Yeah. Uh, my, my putter was really hot that day. <clears throat> so I, I wasn't nervous, but I've gotten into, this is another thing that I, I want to talk about pace here. So, and, and pace of play, not pace of putts. So the, I think that the, what frustrates me about when I go to the like munis and stuff and people, if you're bad, when I play with bad people, they always are like, I'm so sorry. I'm bad. It must be terrible to play with me. And I'm always like, no, I don't give a shit. Just, just play fast. If you're bad, I don't care if you're bad. Just don't slow like everyone. Don't slow everyone behind us down. Don't slow me down. Um, just play, just play fast. Give yourself good lives. Get it out of that thing. You know, like this is ridiculous. You're, you're not Tiger Woods. Let's play fast. But when you get to like, I think probably yours and like professional levels and even to mine, like I can now take my time because I'm not chasing balls all the time. So I really take my time. And the one thing that I learned from when I was a member over at North Ranch playing with uh, these college kids is, is that they play fast in the fairway and then they slow it down on the greens. And I really, really take my time now on the greens. Not so much that it's annoying, but like, I always read the back of the putt, always. And that's something that like a lot of people don't do. I, yeah, and I usually would do that first uh, just because then I can, and I always, I always try to walk both sides of the putt. And then the other thing that I've noticed that pros do a lot is that they stand with their feet at like over the ball and use your body as like, okay, this I can feel that I it's moving this way just with my body. And the other thing, we're good family friends with Matt Gogol. My brother played golf with him, and he's a great champion in his own right. And one thing that he taught me that I, that I still use today is that he would split his putts in half. He'd walk to midway through, and he would act as if he was putting the ball from there and what the putt would be doing from there, and then using that information you know, for the entirety of the putt. And so, yeah, that's a long diatribe of like, I take my time with reading putts because yeah, like a two foot putt counts as much as a 300 yard drive. So, you know, the other thing that I've been doing a lot more these days that has, has really helped is anything that's like around the leather. I mean, yes, I will. Like, unless it's like a severely downhill, like, just tap it and like pray. Uh, if it's like within the three, four foot thing, I'm not reading so much into this. I'm fucking jamming that bitch home. Like I'm, I'm hitting a firm putt. Like I'm taking break out of it and I'm making this putt because I'm hitting a straight putt, not because I'm worried about like what the gravity is going to do to the ball, you know? And that is really like, if you are money four feet in, like you are so hard to beat. And the one thing that sticks out to me, Wells, about what you've said today is similar to things we've talked about in the past. And I want to remind the listeners of something that I've thought about before, which is, look, Wells, I'm sure both of us have hit great drives and made bogey. You talked about one on the front. Um, We've both hit terrible drives and somehow made birdie, right? And I think what you're round, you shot under par. Not many people in their life can say that they've shot under par. My best score is a 74. I've never shot even. I'm trying to get to even par first. You know, it's on brand. I haven't even done it yet, but <laughs> I'm trying to ride the train for 18 holes. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it's really easy to get ahead of ourselves as we're playing. You mentioned things that's in, that are interesting. Oh, well, I should birdie the par fives. Or this is a short par three. I should be close on that. But... I see this time and time again. The rounds that end up having the best result are kind of these little surprises along the way. And sometimes you make birdie on a 30-foot putt. Sometimes you chip in. Sometimes you make bogey when you didn't expect it. So it's almost like this calm wonder of like, okay, I wonder what's going to happen out there today. But all I can do is put myself in position and let's see what drops, right? I mean, it's got to be really eye-opening to look back at your round and you bogeyed 10 like you're so what you're four over after 10 no because i had birdied nine. Oh, you birdied nine okay so you're so i was three over going into the back okay 
Yeah. Um, you're not thinking that you're going to go, you know, four under from yeah, the rest yeah. of the way, right? That just time tends to happen. And if you would have thought I need to go four under from here on out, I highly doubt you would have done it. There would have created tension. You would have maybe gone a little faster. So I think that's interesting for people to remember. Like people say, let the golf course come to you, but not many people understand how to do that. And I think your round is a perfect description of that. Yeah, and there's that famous golf quote, uh, the most important shot in golf is the next one. And that's, I mean, like, obviously there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, like, outside stimuli when you're playing golf. You know, you're you're drinking beers and, you know, music's playing. And at least this is how my rounds go. Like, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, and... The, the one thing that I think that like, if you can really, really just focus on, you know, what, what this next shot, what you're trying to do with it. Like you see the pros, like some, like Jason Day used to like close his eyes and just like straight up like envision what he was going to do. But like so much of success in golf is, is seeing, seeing what you want the, the shot to do and then trying to execute it. I, I was talking to, my brother during the round yesterday and whatever it was, it was that it's that long par four on the back that, 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 um, is a dog leg, right. And there's nothing more than that. I love on a golf course. Um, when it's a hole that makes me make a shot, uh, I know I have to hit a cut here. I have to hit a cut. Uh, and, and that makes my life so much easier. Cause it's like, well, I, this is all I can do. I have to do this. And if you can do that with every shot, golf is so much easier. I got to hit a hook here. I got to do it, you know, or like whatever it is. I got to hit this one stiff. Um, and so, yeah, if you can think about it in terms of like, this is important, focus on just this one thing. Because even I'll do it, dude, where I'll like bring the club. Like in my mind, I'd be like, all right, I need a three-quarter swing here. And then I'll hit it and I'll be like, I hit a full shot there. Like how did I forget within like me setting up and hitting, you know? And it's because I got mentally lazy and I wasn't like super focused on just the next shot, you know? Well, that's why so many people hit their best shots from the trees. Because yeah. you have one option. I have yeah. to hit it low under that branch, right? It becomes a very focused thing where in the middle of the fairway, you're thinking about, oh, this is my chance to do something great. And it's much more broad, right? Yeah. Well, Wells, um, congrats. I mean, that's an amazing accomplishment as a golfer myself. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I, I hope one day that I can do that as well. Um, if you guys aren't following Wells, follow him at Wells Adams on Instagram. Um, if you guys think that by following him, you're just going to get bartender stuff and crabs and Bachelor in Paradise and other Bachelor <laughs> stuff. It's not true, guys. He's posting about his under par score on his story. Go check him out. Um, and any final words, Wells, for... If if an amateur golfer was listening to this and didn't listen to anything for the entire hour that we had you, is there anything you want to leave them with besides the fact that you should only weigh yourself after you go poop, which I thought was great <laughs> advice? It was on your Twitter, and yeah, I, uh, I, yeah. I did a little research, yeah. That checks out. Um, yeah. Um. <sighs> I think the best advice that I can, so I, I heard a thing where uh, to be a really great golfer, you need to be able to drive the ball, wedge the ball, and putt the ball. So two of the three things that you need to be a really good uh, golfer is is your short game. And uh, if you can, like going back to that wedge matrix, it's the one thing that I think, every time someone sees my club, they're like, what the fuck is written on your club? That wedge matrix thing I guarantee you has shaved five strokes off my, uh, off my game. Like it's the, it's, it's so nice to, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you hit a ball on a par five or whatever, or you hit a ball short and you're in a weird number. You're at a weird number. The pros have a hard time with that. Number one at whistling straight was a very good example of that. It was hard for those guys to get. It was close because they were at a weird number. It's always like 50, 49 yards or whatever. And if you know what you are, if if you hit a, you can hit this one shot seventy yards and you are very comfortable with it, uh, 
it will make your life so much easier. And that's what I would suggest doing that. It's the one thing that like is so easy to do and no one does it. Like you're just like, oh, I guess this is all hands here. No, it's very calculated. Figure out what your half swing is with your lob wedge. It's 59, I bet, you know, like know that. Know that's your 60 yard shot in. And your life, your life will be easier. Talk about making commitment easier. If you know your yardage, you have a much, yeah. much better chance to commit. I just played in a member guest three weeks ago where I was hitting everything a club longer. I was de-lofting too much. I was putting it back in my stance. And that can really disrupt some things. Because now I feel like I'm hitting the smart yardage and I still went long. You're like, mm-hmm. what is going on right now? Right? You don't want that in your round. You want to know exactly where the ball is going to land. Distance control is so important. Um, well, I'm pumped for I'm pumped for you and I'm pumped for the finale tonight. I know this is coming out on Sunday, but we'll post it on Instagram. I'm, it's kind of surreal that I'm talking to you right now and then I'm going to watch the finale tonight. And I've heard some pretty crazy things happen. So, Well, don't worry. It's not the finale. Uh, next week is the finale. So now this week, this week I host um, and then next week is like, People get dumped, people get engaged, and uh, then the show ends. Okay, yeah. perfect. See, see, I, I arranged that perfectly. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're glad to have you aboard. And uh, would love, I mean, we're in LA. Would love to get out to Tierra Hada so you can show me how the hell to shoot under par. Yeah, and dude, let's go. I, I play way too much golf. Or you can come over and get drunk and we can play my simulator. That's always fun. I mean, either one works for me. I need, it sounds like I need a wedge matrix. So maybe I'll start. You do, dude. I'm telling you, man. You do. Well, thanks for having me, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. Uh, Take care and hopefully uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah. See you, bud.